0: Ha ha Hello, just chatting with the voice in my head, (laughs) a delightful, a delightful, uh, and we we laugh. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you got to (sighs) laugh. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort. Through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Um, Amen. And I'd like to ask a favor of all of you. I have a, I have a few kind of personal prayer requests that I, I'd like to ask your help with. And there's a, a woman I know who wrote in who's having a terrible time with her daughter. And, and I always pray for people when they write in. But these are a couple things things that, that I want to mention there's a uh, one of my students is a chaplain in uh, Korea and he asked me for a special prayer for uh, um, uh, a woman named Lily um, who's facing a a real health crisis and children and also I'd ask you to pray for uh, a dear friend of mine Mary who's had a recurrence of her cancer and her, her family is has just been beset by illness and difficulty and I ask you Lord For all of us who are living in this valley of tears, uh, afflicted by the weakness of our bodies and even the weakness of our souls, we ask your mercy and we ask for healing, the healing that is most appropriate to our salvation. We ask all these things. I ask especially to bless Nick and his wife, Lily, and and Marion and Brian, and and all of the people who have been brought. To our attention for prayer. In Jesus' name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, that said, let us draw strength from the big book on the coffee table. Okay. Well, today's first reading is pretty much, eh, a strong city, have we? He sets up walls and ramparts to protect us, opened up the gates to let in a nation that is just, one that keeps faith. You know, I always redefine those words, justice is... Uh, is the quality of being godly, and that involves mercy as well as uh, 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 a sort of fairness. Uh, You know, we think of justice in English. We think of, um, you know, I'm going to get mine, and you poor sucker, you're going to get yours. We think of it in litigious terms, but that's not the Hebrew idea, that justice, a subset of justice, is mercy. Justice is not about simply legalities. Uh, justice in, in the Hebrew understanding is about right relationship, and that's how the Catholic Church defines it. I think St. Thomas defines it as justice being um, a right relationship to God and to our neighbor, uh, one that keeps faith. And of course, uh, I constantly tell you that faith, You when you see uh, um, the word faith, you can translate it as trust even in the sense of a trust fund, one that is faithful, one that keeps, keeps a trust. So a nation of firm purpose you keep in, in peace. I don't know that we are a nation of firm purpose at the moment. Um, at least if we do have a firm purpose, I don't know that it's a great one. The Lord is an eternal rock. <clears throat> he humbles those in high places, the lofty city he brings down. He tumbles it to the ground, levels it with dust. It is trampled underfoot by the needy, the footsteps of the poor. And this is written by Isaiah and the great cities of Nineveh and Babylon. Well, they are, in fact, nothing but dust as we speak. But let's go to the gospel. This is Matthew, the seventh chapter, the 21st verse. Uh, then it jumps to the 24th. I'm going to read the whole the whole thing. Um. Not everyone, this is verse 21 of uh, uh, chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those, the one who does the will of my father in heaven, not uh, the kingdom of heaven. You know me, I'm always translating it oddly. And uh, the ro- it's the royal nature. It's, it's an inheritance. You inherit Basilea. This quality of kingliness you inherit from your father and your mother, if they are royalty. Not everyone who says to me will enter into that royal inheritance, but the one who does the will of my father in heaven. Uh, um, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty deeds in your name? Then I will declare to them solemnly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. I think I said this yesterday that... That um, so many people uh, gauge holiness by miracles. And very interesting, in the canonization process, we don't gauge holiness by miracles. Oh I thought you had to have two miracles to be canonized. Yes, post-mortem miracles. In other words, if you are a great miracle worker in your life, there's still a chance that you may have uh, uh, sinned or, or left apostatized or something, and you're not... A saint, it's not the miracles that that are the proof of holiness, but the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love and peace and patience and joy, etc. That that Jesus says the tree produces good fruit if it's a good tree, and don't gauge a ministry by how miraculous it is. Now miracles are, I believe, miracles are very important. They are an integral part of the gospel. They they demonstrate that that the the the. That heaven has broken into this dimension, this world. Very important. And and they attest to the word which is preached. We see that in the Acts of the Apostles. The Lord witnessed to what the apostles preached by signs and wonders. But remember, signs and wonders. A sign has meaning. Even in a miracle, God is trying to say something miracles are just i believe another form of prophecy <laughs> so these people are saying we work miracles by your authority yeah you worked by my authority not yours i never knew you you never knew me isn't that interesting that that god would say i never knew you <laughs> that jesus god the son of god how could god not know someone well, it's no in the sense of recognize. I never recognized you. I didn't authorize you because you did not honor me. Depart from me, evildoers. God works miracles out of love and compassion for humanity. Uh, you know, this is the, a very important idea in the Catholic faith, that a bad priest can say a good mass, we call it ex opere operato, the work having been done. If a priest says what the Catholic Church says he's to say, intends what the Church says he's to intend, that bread and that wine become the body and blood of Christ. A bad bishop can ordain good priests if he does what the Church says he should do, says what the Church says he should say in the ceremony, and intends what the Church intends. It, it's not dependent on him it's christ who works the miracle and what happens is that a, a real miracle should draw us to christ not to the miracle worker and you know you see all these shows where there are these guys work in miracles and most of them are frauds and and they they draw in people to to the worship not of god but to the worship of of the evangelist and make the check payable too, you see a real miracle draws your eyes to heaven, a, a genuine sign and wonder, that 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 the Bible talks about signs and wonders, God works miracles in order to say something to us, so let's get on to the rest of this 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 text because it's very interesting everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them we like a wise man who built his house on rock the rains fell the floods came uh, the winds blew and buffeted the house but it did not collapse um the the uh, um when you go to the middle east you will see what we call in english a gulch they call it a wadi which means a dried out river all the all the Bible scholars call them wadis, because I suppose gulch is a rather unpoetic-sounding word. But they're gulches, a gully or a gulch, and they're dry. And generally, they're kind of sandy, and the grass grows in them, and all that good stuff. You got sheep. You're pasturing your sheep. You're down in this nice gully where the grass is still green everything up in the hills is dry it's a desert climate but there's still water down in the gully and there's still green grass and oh every night i got to take my sheep up the up the hill and then down the hill in the morning why don't i just build my house down here it's so much easier well what you don't know is that if there's a storm in the mountains a wall of water is going to come rushing. There may not even be a cloud in the sky, but a wall of water is going to come rushing down that dried-out riverbed and sweep you, your sheep, and your house away. It may be inconvenient to build your house up on the on the edge of the cliff, or up up the hill, but that's the only safe and smart thing to do. And if you don't know the lay of the land, you're gonna you're gonna build your house where it's convenient. This is a huge biblical principle. A religion of convenience will not maintain you. A religion of convenience will not maintain you. I get the biggest kick out of these grand theologians who are having grand meetings, even as we speak, to, to get the church into sync with, with modern society. I remember hearing uh, someone write uh, uh, that uh, Bishop such and such, this was many years ago, is not in step with the times, and the commentator said, well, the times stink, hurrah for the bishop. So those bishops who are brave enough to resist the the uh, um, and I, there are I, you know I know a few bishops and I I really am very impressed with the quality of of I don't know a lot but the few I know I'm very impressed with their qual the quality and thoughtfulness and the sanctity of life uh, and these guys are resisting an avalanche and these are guys who have built their their house on on solid rock and it's tough but a religion of convenience is swept away a religion that 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 gives in to the pressure of a society gone mad well it's is an insane religion okay enough of that all right i want to do some more uh, mass hysteria dogs and cats living together mass hysteria. <laughs> Oh, it's a beautiful song. It makes me feel all goosebumpy, and that's of course why we go to church to feel all goosebumpy. But that's not—I, you know—it's a nice song, but that's not what I want to talk about. I, I kind of want to uh, apologize a little for my tirade yesterday. However, I want to give you all an assignment. This document for which I am looking—that—that that says clearly that ushers should not. Escort people up to the communion or they or come to the pew and row by row, you kind of the, the usher will gesture. Everybody's gesturing now in churches if people were idiots, but um, uh, that shouldn't happen. Now I, I, But then it's chaos, Father. I know it's not. Uh, I was at a a, a rather traditional church not long ago, and uh, there were ushers, but they were in the front directing people who had already come up to go to their appropriate place at the communion rail or stand or whichever place they should be. They weren't directing them from the pew. Um, I I, I really kind of need to step it back. If you are an usher, God bless you. You're you're doing good work and you're trying your best. However, I do think that that um, it should fall on the pastors, as someone said yesterday. Someone asked me uh, because I just think it's it's it 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 almost forces people to go to communion, You follow the usher's direction, and you're going to end up down. Uh, at the communion rail or wherever communion is given out in your church. And do you have the, the strength to just uh, be a little embarrassed and simply ask for a blessing? Um, so, you know, I really do feel that that it is a cause of sacrilege. Now to say that those ushers are being sacrilegious, I, I don't mean that. They're doing their best and they're, they're doing what they're told to do. And obedience is pleasing to the Lord. However, I'm going to give you all kind of an assignment. There was a document an old Monsignor told a classmate of mine who told me I was talking to him about this problem. And uh, uh, he said that, yeah, that, that none other than St. Pope John Twenty-Third had issued a directive saying that people should not go to communion row by row, lest there be sacrilege. Now, this was done, I think, in the early days of the council or even before the council. Uh, it was very early on, and so I can't find it anywhere on the web. But if anybody can help me with that document, I would, I would be very grateful. I just think it makes sense that, that you know, <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I've let the ushers off the hook, but I'm not sure I wanted to let all undertakers off the hook. Uh, God bless them. I, I've known some undertakers who are wonderfully pastoral. But then again, I've known some who are not. And there is one particular, uh, I actually kind of got into it at communion with an undertaker because he was, he was almost insisting that everybody go to communion. And I will never forget this young woman came up. I think I might've mentioned this yesterday. She came up and she, you know, piercings and, and uh, hair as black as night and kind of goth. And I looked at her and she, I hold up the Blessed Sacrament, of the body of Christ, and she just kind of looks. And I say, Have you made your first communion? And she said, No, I'm Jewish. And I said, Let me give you a blessing. <laughs> uh, the ushers had insisted that all of these non Catholic people, God bless them. <laughs> I'm not faulting them for not being Catholic. I'm faulting the usher for not understanding what the Eucharist was. There, the undertaker. So, I really think we, you know, we're going to have a Eucharistic revival. How can we have a Eucharistic revival if we do not honor the unique gift that the Eucharist is? We have made it just a commonplace thing. You know, some little kid runs up and grabs the lucky chip and runs back to his pew. That's horrible. We've failed to teach young people the beauty of this. And I'm, I'm going to give you another assignment. Well, your first assignment is, uh, help me find that document written by Pope St. John Twenty-Third. And I would be very grateful if you looked up the Eucharistic miracle of Buenos Aires. Look up the Eucharistic miracle of Sokolka. S-O-K-O-L-K-A. Look those up. Read read about them. Uh, there are two instances in which, uh, particularly, Sokolka particularly intrigues me because you can actually see in the preserved miraculous host where it morphs from bread and becomes flesh. It's amazing. So look them up. Look them up we need to work hard at understanding what it is we receive alright that's it let's go to a break we'll come back with some letters and again God bless the ushers they're working hard and if I made anybody feel terrible I, I didn't mean to uh, you're not you're not committing sacrilege but sacram, sacrilege is happening oh I hate this song it's, it's people play it at funerals I can't stand this song I did it my way that's not a good thing to say when you stand before the judgment seat of God. Aye. We receive hundreds of your phone calls every day, thanks to the Catholic Order of Foresters Studio Line. Our sponsor offers flexible life insurance and annuities. Visit RelevantRadio.com/Forester today. An Illinois Life Insurance Society. Not available in all states. Make this your response Amen. to what. Say from the healing of your body Amen. to the raising of the dead, Amen. no matter how you feel it. or how your world is really, battle on through the night. Amen. Cause you're gonna win the fight. Well, I'm in the valley. It's it's true. I mean it's race it. It. I'm busily looking for something and I just cannot find it um just, uh, somebody has asked let's go to letters okay let's've uh, got to get the trumpet here okay I somebody's Joe is asking me where in the screw tape letters God uh, screw tape calls God such a sophist he'll save people on the uh maybe maybe it's a hedonist and not a sophist no 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 that's not it that's not it. I'm having a hard time finding that too, but I will I will be listening to the screw tape letters again and I will um, I, I will let you know, Joe, when when I when I find that note, because I can't find it. You know, remember my motto What I don't know I can always make up. <laughs> that must inspire confidence. Let's move uh, next letter. Um sometime back Oh, this is about the document, which I can't find either. <sighs> All right, you've had two documents I can't find and one apology today. Okay. Um, all the makings uh, of a great show. <laughs> the voiceman said, yes, all the makings of a great show. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's Okay, well, let's see here. Uh, let me, I got one more here. Do call in. Let's let's have a lot of call-ins today. Uh, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Okay. Let's see here. Um, let's see. Let's see here. Oh, I did want to mention, you know, uh, a wonderful, wonderful thing to look at is the... Uh, um, um, Go to the website and look at the Mary Beggars. They, they really are wonderful. Uh, so much good stuff. All right, here's a letter from Dan. I had always thought that when we ended prayers, we were to say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I grew up Presbyterian, but I can't remember if that was something I was taught in Sunday school or if it was just me picking up on how collects ended as we pray through Jesus. Uh, maybe my it's my Presbyterian upbringing, but I always figure I have no standing before... <coughs> before God, save in and through Jesus. Is it wrong for me to complute, conclude in Jesus' name? No, it's not wrong. Again, please, take what I say. Are you ready? Voice in my head. With a grain of salt. Because um, I, I kind of write in big letters and bright colors here. But when we pray in Jesus' name, I really think that, that we're forgetting the nature of our authority. That when we have a prayer in church, that is the prayer of the whole church. We say through Christ our Lord, or in the name of Jesus. And if our intention, if our intention is to is to submit to God's will, you know, Lord, I'd like to win the lottery and be fantastically wealthy. I'd give a lot of money to Relevant Radio. I promise, and even my brother-in-law who I don't like. Amen. I I like my brothers-in-law. Uh, that's just an example. Uh, so, but Lord, if it's your will that I don't, okay, fine. Then in the name of Jesus or through Christ our Lord. But when you say, when what I'm really trying to point out is when you do it superstitiously, I'm going to, I'll never, I'll never forget. I was at some great Pentecostal conference and and a couple of people ran up to me and say, "We need a third for prayer because we're 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 gonna we're gonna claim something in the name of Jesus, huh?" Yeah, they needed three people because the Bible says when two or three of you agree on anything, we need a third person to agree in prayer. Uh, when two or three of you agree on anything in my name, they'll receive it. Again, there's in the name. And I, I pointed out the story of the sons of Sceva talking about casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and they got beat up by the devil. You know, you can't use that phrase superstitiously. That's my point. So, uh, um, um, yeah, you can you can pray in the name of Jesus, say, uh, but understand what it means that you believe that this prayer isn't just coming from you, but that it is, it is in God's perfect will. And you are willing to submit to God's will for your life and for your for your future. So, I, I hope that helps, Dan. All right. Now, there's another one. If I can find it, it was. Uh, oh, I, I wanted to comment on that about um, uh, the prayer of Saint Gertrude. Uh, someone wrote in. You know, every time you say that prayer, uh, uh, a thousand souls are released from. That no, uh, not so much. Um, we're talking about Gertrude the Great. Let's talk about Gertrude the Great. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to be called the Great? <laughs> it's a, this is uh, Saint Gertrude of Helfte, uh, uh, Gertrude de Grossa von Helfte, a German saint. All right. Um, the Great Prayer of of of. Uh, of um, St. Gertrude, Eternal Father, I offer thee the most precious blood of thy divine son Jesus in union with the masses said throughout the world today for all the holy souls in purgatory, for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church, for those in my own home and my own family. It's a lovely prayer. It's essentially the morning offering. Now, her name has been attached to that prayer, and it's a legend of uncertain origin and date because she We don't have much that she wrote. She wrote a lot, but we don't have much of it. It's not found in the revelations of St. Gertrude the Great. Christ promised to release a thousand souls each time it was said. That uh, that doesn't go back to St. Gertrude. And despite the fact that practices... Now, I'm, re- I'm reading, I'm quoting something here. Relative to alleged promises to free one or more souls from purgatory by the recitation of some particular prayer. Now, listen up. We're prohibited by Pope Leo Thirteenth. That doesn't mean you can't say that prayer, but you can't hold God to this kind of bogus contract. St. Gertrude said you'd release a thousand souls, so I'm going to say this prayer, and you've got to release a thousand souls. Maybe the Lord does. I don't know. But uh, you see, oh, good grief, I'm way off the track here, but hey, you're used to that. Let us talk about covenants and contracts again. God does nothing outside of a covenant. I'll say it again God does nothing outside of a covenant. Well, what is a covenant? A covenant is a kind of contract. That is indissoluble except by death. Uh, what's the difference between a contract? Now I will try to be oblique, cause little ears are listening, I suppose. There is an intimacy between a man and a woman. There is an industry that that deals with uh, that intimacy. And that industry generally is deprecated, looked down on by most people, though we live in strange times. Now, marriage also deals with intimacy between a man and a woman. And that's what, the way Jesus defined it. I'm not going to go there today, but Jesus defined marriage as a relationship between man and a woman. If you don't think it's true, well, fine. You just you don't agree with Jesus. But Jesus defined marriage as an intimacy between a man and a woman. and we have great respect for faithful marriages. Marriage is celebrated. Well what's the difference between the first uh, the first relationship that involves intimacy and the marital relationship that involves intimacy? One is a contract pure and simple. the other is a covenant. A covenant is a relationship that ends with death. A covenant says, I give you myself that you might give me yourself. And if you listen to the words of consecration, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. You know, the word for covenant is berith in Hebrew and in, in Yiddish it's bris. This is a covenant ratified in blood. I give you that you might give me. I, I give you myself that you might give me yourself. That first intimacy I was talking about is a contract. I give you that you might give me. When the money, the uh, services, the the uh, um, the activity is done, the relationship is over. That's a contract. And God does nothing except through a covenant. The difficulties in our life, the sufferings in our life are there so that we might covenant with God. I mean, think about it. If God was just the great sugar daddy in the sky, how could we love him? Oh, I, I ask God and he gives me all this stuff and all I have to do is ask and and presto chango. Uh, God is the great vending machine. God allows difficulty in our life. I really believe that when Jesus... Uh, After multiplying bread and wine and and, and driving his followers away, saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And the Jews who followed him were disgusted, as well they should be. I mean, the eating of human flesh and the drinking of human blood was abhorrent to them and is abhorrent to any civilized person. Well, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They said, he's not the Messiah. He's nuts. And then he turned to the 12 and he said, will you leave also? And Peter looked at him and said, where would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. And I think that's where Judas said, I got to get out of this mess. This guy's going to get us crucified. He's nuts. But that's for another day. Um, So I think that a number of times in our life, God says to us, if there's nothing in this for you, would you still follow me? Would you still love me? Nothing? Nothing. Not even life after death? Not even life after death. What sane person has not doubted the possibility that we survive death? I mean, I believe we do. But there have been times in my life, especially when I'm facing grief, that I say, Lord, is this so? If there's nothing in it for you, would you still follow him? And you say, well, nothing, nothing at all. Maybe I'd find an easier religion. <laughs> well, then you were never following him to begin with. You were following the, the things that he can give you. Now, that's those the, the generosity of God draws us into him. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But do you understand what I mean? God allows difficulty in our lives. And some of us are called to great sanctity because of great difficulty. I look at uh, Mother Teresa and St. Teresa of Lisieux, who had no consolations, no sense of the presence of God for years. There's nothing in this. Would you still follow me? They said, yes, we will. That was faith. That was trust. You see, God allows difficulty in our life so that we can choose him. And not simply choose the wonderful gifts that He gives us. That said, uh, um, realize that that um, you can't force God into a contract. Well, I said this prayer 500 times. That means that that means that with the five million souls I got out of purgatory. God did not work that way. And Pope Leo the Thirteenth said, God doesn't work that way. So, you know, if you are devoted to the prayer of St. Gertrude, keep saying it. It's a beautiful prayer. And we need to pray for the souls in purgatory, especially, I love that uh, uh, prayer at the end of each decade of the rosary, those who have most need of thy mercy. Uh, Don't stop praying the prayer of St. Gertrude. Just say, Lord, you do with this what you want. Use it the way that you want. Maybe that'll get a few thousand souls out of purgatory. All right, that said, let's take a break. We're going to come back with a word of the day. And uh, uh, 888-9149-149. Oh, I hope I have my call speed still. I do, I do. Okay. The Catholic Order of Foresters, the sponsor of our studio line, is hiring today. Several positions available throughout the U.S. Visit relevantradio.com slash to learn more about how you can find your vocation with COF, an Illinois life insurance society not licensed in all states. I'm on my way to the river of Jordan. Gonna wait right in. in the rushing water. I'm going down. I'm going down to the river, river of, of Jordan. Jordan. my soul that's a great song go down the river jordan i've been there it's you know the jordan river is chilly and wide no it's kind of tepid and narrow except in flood but it's still the river jordan all right let's let's go to the word of the day you know the gospel today and not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven the people who say, all you have to do is claim Jesus. I claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, don't they read the Bible? I mean, it says not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't want us to call him Lord as much to, as to be our Lord. I mean, uh, but that's not what I want to talk about. Um, uh, they were astonished uh, at his teaching. Uh, th- let me see if that, if that that was from the... Uh, okay, Um uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's in there, uh, verse twenty-eight. It follows uh, the reading today. But when Jesus finished these words, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. And uh, that's that's interesting because the scribes claim someone else's authority. If you read Talmud, it will say, "Well, the Rabbi Shmuel said, Rabbi Levi said, Rabbi," you know. Jesus sometimes said, "You have heard it said, but what I say to you is this." Jesus thought, taught authoritatively. He didn't quote other people. He quoted scripture, but he didn't quote other rabbis. And that's what it means. He taught them with authority, not as the scribes. Um, uh, I have to teach with authority. With, uh, I, I can't teach with authority. I have to footnote these things as much as I can. And, and uh, that's important because I'm not Christ. But Jesus taught with authority. And, you know, I said earlier that Jesus defined marriage as a relationship between a man and a woman. He said that when he said, um, uh, Jesus uh, said, um, for this a man leaves his father and mother. That's exclusivity. Uh, that, that important relationship of mother and father. That's not as important as marriage. Exclusive relationship. He leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife. That's again fidelity. You cling to your wife. That, that, and a wife clings to her husband. Uh, that, that you don't. Um, you don't. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you, can't cling to two spouses at once. Uh, you, your life is meant. Uh, you're supposed. Intimacy is meant for intimacy with one person. That's it. And the two become one flesh. Where do people become one flesh? In their children. Though not everyone can have children, every marriage should be open to the possibility of children. Um, this, is, this is a very important thing. And, well, what about man and woman? Couldn't, couldn't other arrangements be made? No, because the word in the text is woman. A man clings to his woman. Jesus defines marriage as an, as a, an exclusive a permanent relationship open to children between a man and a woman. And he, he has authority. And if you say, I don't agree with that. Well, where's your authority for it? Well, I just don't agree with it. You know, well, I'm glad you don't agree with it. What authority do you have? Well, science. Well, no, look at science. People say, follow the science. Every cell in your body says male or female. That's good science. Well, I I experienced life as a woman. Well, you may have learned that, uh, but it, it's just, it's not good science. It's not good uh, uh, psychology. You have no authority for it. Jesus spoke with authority. And, and I'm sorry that, that, you know, you are absolutely free to disagree with Jesus. But you're not free to disagree with him and then call yourself his follower. It's, it's, that, it's that simple. I do not dispute your, your, your right as a citizen of this country to do as you please. I don't dispute it, but I do dispute your right to call yourself the follower of Christ when you disagree with him on something so absolutely fundamental. The relationship between Christ and the church is a relationship between Christ and his brides. Well, let's go to telephone. But, uh, those there is something the matter with your fin. No, no, I got it all fixed. It's working fine. Let's go to Terry. Terry from, from Palm Springs, California. Are you with us, Terry? I am. Thank you. Uh, this morning I went to mass and yep. on the there was a gentleman with a service dog, and on the way back from communion he broke the host and he took oh. half and gave the other half oh, to the dog. Oh 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 oh! And oh, I, I, I was pretty shocked. I, I didn't give not what is sacred I, I to dogs. So you should be I shocked. You 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 need to talk to that man, and if he says. To hell with you talk to the pastor that that I, I think that I oh. don't to notify the pastor no you got to the Bible says you got to talk to the guy if your brother does something wrong uh, you go to him first and then you go with one other then you go to the pastor I would say the one other step is not but I would do it promptly um, that is a serious serious uh, sacrilege Uh
1: I, Does he come to Mass it,
0: regularly? The, well, well, the thing is, I'm, I have never seen him before. And um, so I don't know. Uh, you know, you know and I don't oh, always go to the same chapel. I, oh, I go oh, to daily oh. Mass at different places. Well, I, I would do your best to to see if you can encounter him again. And if you cannot in the next day or two. Uh, but then you know, what the, do I say? Because you know how people get really, really defensive. Yes, they'll get really, really defensive, and he won't listen to you. But I, I'm sorry. Ma- read Matthew, the 18th chapter, the 19th verse and following. Jesus said this, and he said it for a reason. You know, you don't rat someone out before you talk to them. That That's Bible. So I would do that and, and expect to, to, to uh, have someone be offended. Uh, you know, well, I don't want I just, to get in... I, I mean, that would be embarrassing. Yeah, it'll be embarrassing. The whole thing is embarrassing, but is Christ worth it or not? Um, this may be something God's asking you, but, uh, you know, the pastor needs to be informed of this, but I really believe you should at least try to talk to this guy first. Who knows? He may say, I didn't know that. Um, uh, um, I didn't know that that was sacred. I'll never do it again. Then you've won a soul. But, um, but if let you just... me ask you one question. Sure. If, if, I, ask, if I bring that up to him, and he's completely defensive. What, like his? What if his argument is, well, "Who are you to be telling me this? Who am I? You know I'm, I'm a Christian. Uh, who am I? I'm a Christian, and that's wrong. You know, I know this is wrong, and I'm coming to you first. Uh, you know, I we we we, we so want. You know, people used to come up to me and say, "You should talk to this person about something." I said, "Would well, you have you talked to them?" Well, no, I I wouldn't dare. Why would I talk to him? I didn't see it. Didn't bother me. You know, yeah, I, I think I, I think this is important uh, for you to be willing to be humiliated by this person. Yes. I mean, if you're not willing to to, to- to go that to that stretch, you know, then then I think that it, it 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 But you know, if you can't find him in a day or two, then I would say go to the pastor of that place, um, the person who's in pastoral charge of it. And I to anyone who's listening, and if you see someone give a little bit of communion to a, an animal, intervene immediately. Oh, oh, I'm just I'm I'm heartsick about this. Oh, dear. Well, we are we're if anybody important is listening, we need to do something about the disrepute into which the blessed sacrament has fallen because of our bad attitude there. So uh, I'm going to be Terry. Thank you for calling in about that. But um, uh, I don't want to say you've made my day any better, <laughs> but it didn't make your day any better either, did it? No, no, it it really shook me up. It really—I oh, didn't know what to do. Well, you know, I, I, if anybody sees this, you know, you know, and I would include in that in the Roman rite, if someone breaks the host and gives it to a small child, I would, I would, I would intervene there too. And the Roman rite, you have to have made your first confession, and first communion is after the age of reason. Now, in the Eastern churches. Uh, little children can receive communion, but that's a different discipline. That's not nearly as serious as this. This is a grave sacrilege, to give yes. blessed sacrament to an animal. Uh, it's a grave sacrilege. So thank you for bringing it to my attention oh, and the intention of all our listeners. Thank you so much, and Merry Christmas oh, to you. Oh, <laughs> Merry Christmas. <oy. laughs> oh dear, let's go to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, throw me a softball. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Hi, Father. Um, so my question would be that when we're at church, yes, sometimes the priest will give a blessing, and then the congregation will all raise their hands, and they'll say, let's all give a blessing to so-and-so. And my grandma taught me, she went to the Latin Mass, she taught me that the only ones that can actually give a blessing are priests, Bishop, someone with authority, like um, parents onto their yeah. children. So my question is, can the congregation give a blessing? Well, or in that, in that sense, you no. Know, it's it's a feel good thing, but I would anybody can give a blessing. They can't give a priestly blessing. They can't give an apostolic blessing. Uh, they can't give a parental blessing unless they're a parent. You know that there are specific areas of authority, but we. You know that's not that's not uh, I don't think that's a major thing. Uh, it is kind of the the feel good nature of the of the Novus Ordo and and uh, you know we priests tend to forget that the Novus Ordo as well as the old Mass neither of them are supposed to be a show. They're the unbloody representation of the sacrifice of Calvary, not a not a community event where we uh, do things that are fun. But yeah, there's nothing intrinsically wrong was saying let me give you a blessing let me it's essentially let me say a prayer for you so uh, but understand it's not a priestly blessing it is not a, an episcopal blessing not a papal blessing not a parental blessing it's just a little prayer for you so uh, it's it's not a major thing i think but for someone to if the priest were to ask someone up i'm not going to give you the blessing grandma schultz is going to do the final blessing that would be wrong does that help a little Oh, that helps a lot. Thank you. Well, God bless. And, you know, I, I, oh, I, I'm not, I'll i I'm—I'm do that and another mass hysteria thing about everybody gets a blessing. All right. Oh, I'm still flabbergasted. Judy from Norwalk, California. What can I do for you? Hi, Father. Um, my question is on Judgment Day. Yes. You know, we're going to heaven or hell. So how can we go before God if we are going to hell? Oh, don't you notice in the scriptures, the scripture says, if I make my bed in hell, still you are there. Hell is not so much. Hell is not so much a physical place as a state of being. It's a state of of being an absolute alienation from God. God can be in. uh, We can be in the presence of God, but we don't perceive it. You know that that God is everywhere uh, that. Every, everywhere that there's aware where. But uh, we wouldn't be in his presence, though he would be aware of us. Though I make my bed in hell, still you are there. Uh, in fact, his C.S. Lewis makes the point that the presence of God in hell is absolute torture for the demons and the damned, in his screw tape letters. Absolute, you know, it's it's like the, the an infinite and blaring light to a person who doesn't want to look into light. Uh, so, Yeah, I remember talking to an exorcist about uh, the fires of purgatory, the fires of love, which cleanse us. And he said, yes, and and the fire of God's love is the fire of hell also. And I said, what? He said, yes, when you definitively rejected love, the fire of God's love is pure torture. Uh, Interesting. So that's how. Does that answer the question for you? That's perfect, and it is interesting. It Thank is you, Father. Merry Christmas, yes. also. Merry, happy, happy, merry. Let's go to Veronica. Yeah. I think Veronica. I just got a minute. What can I do for you? No, Veronica. Let's go to Gina from San Diego, California. Are you with us, Gina? Hi, Father. Yes. Uh, when when Jesus died, he was in the grave for three days, correct? And then, uh, mm-hmm. but he told the prisoner on the cross next to him, "Today you will be with me in paradise." So yes. Um, uh, that part I didn't get, and I have a second part on the same theme. Well, uh, I don't think Jesus... we have time for the okay. the second part. Let me answer the first part. For God, as I always say, all places are here, all moments are now. So the progression of time is different after the resurrection for Christ. And so he can say today, because every moment is today. So today you'll be with me in paradise, Uh In a sense, we think of these things as simultaneous, but the time frame of heaven is quite different than ours. Speaking of time frames, it is time for Drew to come up, and that's a good time had by all.